Amen. Well, good morning again. Well, we're pretty excited this week because we have, as you can see outside in the foyer, all of these things that are decorated for Vacation Bible School. And we have 200 young children all signed up and ready to go. And so we're going to pray for them this morning. We're going to believe God's going to do a great work. You know, the same uh, work of the Spirit that created the world is the same work that happens in the human heart. God's word comes and creates a new creation inside of us. Isn't that a beautiful thought? And I believe that every child has to have their own encounter with God. Every person has to have their own encounter with God where we become, theologically speaking, regenerated. That just means we're made alive. We come alive in the spirit. We're receiving God his very presence into our lives. And that's exciting. So we're going to stand as we go to Lord in prayer. And I'm going to pray today for two things in particular, but I'm sure there's other things on your heart. Number one, we're going to pray for all these kids. How many say we want them to get blitzed by God for a whole entire week? Amen. That's great. Uh, number two, uh, I want to pray this morning that you get blitzed by God. How's that? And that uh, we're going to come to church this morning and we're going to have a divine transaction. How many of you, when you go to the bank, there's usually a transaction that happens. Something is occurring. And this morning, let's open our hearts to God. God wants to do something in your life this morning. And if you'll say, okay, God, I'm a candidate. I'm going to open myself. I'm going to, I'm going to just say, God, I'm going to be prepared to receive from you what you want to say into my life and respond to that. And at the end of the service, we're going to have a special altar call and a special time of prayer. And I believe that God is going to do miracles this morning. So let's pray to that end. So Father, we thank you this morning. You're an amazing Father. You're a loving Father. And you know exactly what every heart needs uh, we want to begin by thanking you for those that have labored so diligently. We have almost 100 workers for our Vacation Bible School. We have 200 kids coming this week. We believe that you're going to do powerful things in their lives that will change the course of their life for eternity. We believe for that, Father. We believe you're going to raise up leaders. We believe you're going to do great things in their lives. You're going to watch over them and protect them. You're going to call them out of darkness into the kingdom of your light. We believe for that today. I believe today that you're going to help us over, you're going to, we're going to help us become overcomers today. We're going to experience your divine power today in such a way that it will literally liberate us and empower us to be able to resist temptation and to walk beyond rejection in our lives, that we'll have a security because we'll understand our identity. And we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. We're going to turn to the Gospel of Luke again. I'm in the New Testament. I'm giving us a little break from our series. Luke chapter 3. You know, there's something inside of every heart, either a woman, a man, that deep down we want to please our earthly father. We want to be accepted. We want our parent to feel like, you know what, we've accomplished something with our lives. And I believe many people struggle with issue. Sometimes it's on the one end where the parent doesn't understand how profound of an influence they have on their children. Sometimes the child doesn't understand how important it is to receive this blessing in their life. We're going to talk about the Father's blessing. We're going to talk about how God wants to bless us. We want to talk about today how important it was. You know, the Hebrew people understood it. They actually, before they, were, they passed away, they gave a blessing to their 
children. They spoke into their lives, and I believe we need to hear that this morning. I think some of us are struggling that you can never feel like you could ever please your parent. You just don't feel like that's ever happened. And some of you have, ex have exasperatedly tried to do that, and it hasn't availed. I think sometimes the start of rebellion in the heart of children is actually an expression of a child trying to get the attention of their father. But right now, when I, need, I need to add a caution to that statement because rebellious children are re not always a result of a neglectful, thoughtless father. How many know, uh, if you can think of Adam and Eve in the garden, they had everything going for them. They had the perfect parent. How many know God's the perfect father? They had not only that, they had the perfect environment. There was no sin in the world and there was nobody to, uh, no, no gang to tempt them to do the wrong thing, right? But sin and failure occurred regardless. Uh, I think yet there remains in the heart of every child a desire to be loved. I believe that's the greatest need in the human heart is to be loved, to be uh, accepted, to be affirmed by their father just for who they are. I think that's important. And this longing and desire does not end when the child grows up. I think there are people in middle age, you know, they've been very successful in life, but the whole time they were always trying to get the affirmation and approval of their father. And I, I think there's even elderly people today who longed their entire life to feel acceptance from their parent, and that's sad. So this ache in the heart does not go away. And I want to go back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I think there's something we need to understand. You see, when you and I come into God's kingdom, uh, you know, we are actually, we have a pattern. Jesus is our pattern. We're to become like Jesus. I talked about that last week. He's our pattern. And Jesus has gone before us. He's the beginning of our faith. He's at the end of our faith. He's all along the journey of our faith. And just before Jesus himself faced probably some of the greatest tests of his early ministry, I can think of one, the temptation in the wilderness. And then immediately afterwards, the rejection that he experienced by his family and friends and associates in his hometown. Something powerful happened in Jesus' life that gave him exactly what he needed to face those very difficult situations. And I believe that you and I can have the same thing happen to us, that we can have exactly what Jesus received in order for us to be able to overcome temptation and offense and rejection. How many, maybe some of you, you don't have to raise your hand this morning, but you know in your mind that you've had feelings of rejection in your heart. You felt that. Some of you have probably felt like, you know, you don't feel that loved. You don't feel that valued or that appreciated. I want you to pay close attention today because I'm gonna to explain to you how you and I can learn from the life of Jesus and experience what Jesus experienced and are able to overcome temptation and some of the struggles that you're having and also be able to, be able to stand up in a crowd for the right thing even though it's difficult to do. Jesus was able to do that and I, I want us to look at that today. We're gonna to see how powerful his heavenly father's affirmation was that really empowered him to do this thing. And at the end, we're gonna give you an opportunity to respond to God's blessing and affirmation. So let's take a look at three events in the life, and they're in chronological order. I think it's interesting that the, the writer, the Holy Spirit that's guiding the writers is giving us a certain order. And, and it's found in Matthew's gospel in the same order. It's found in Luke's gospel in the same order. But we're gonna look at Luke this morning. And let's take a look at these events, these three events that I believe that are empowering to the believer. And the first one is the word of blessing and affirmation from the Heavenly Father. 
We need to receive that from him in order to move forward in our lives. I think, uh, you know, because of the nature of sin in our world, a lot of times as human fathers, we fail to affirm our children correctly. You know, it's, it's, that happens. But today, we're not going to sit down here and be angry and frustrated with what we didn't receive. You know, a lot of us can, we can struggle with that. I'm going to say to you today, you can receive it from your heavenly father. And believe me, if that happens, it's going to heal the brokenness in your soul. You see, that's what happened in my life in some degree. God's spirit came and revealed to me who I really was in Christ. And I believe that's so powerful. You know, Jesus did not struggle with identity issues in his life. I believe that at this moment in time, this culture is struggling with this issue of identity. It's the biggest issue right now. That's all we're dealing with is identity. And you know what happens when you reject God? You lose a sense of true identity. You're confused as to your identity. Today we're going to hear about what is the right kind of identity. Jesus knew who he was and he knew what he needed to do. Isn't that great? When you, it's clear in your mind, I know who I am and I know what I'm supposed to do. No confusion. And I'm just going to go about doing the right thing because I know what it is. And I, and I know who's going to affirm me when I do the right thing, my Father in heaven. And Jesus knew that. Uh, and I think this can be equally true for each of us as God's children. You know, as we read God's love letter, the Bible is a love letter when you think about it. When I'm a child of God, when I'm reading the word of God, God has a lot to say to us in this book. And, you know, if you're, you know, a lot of times people say, well, you know, Pastor, when I read it, I always see it myself in a negative light. I remember talking to people like that. I say, why? If you're God's child, you need to, you're reading the letter the wrong way. <laughs> you know, read it the right way. This is a letter of affirmation and encouragement. God is trying to tell us something and we need to learn from it. You know, I think that's important. Some of you may object and say, but you know, my earthly father didn't affirm me. And I say, well, yeah, that's true. It could be true, but your heavenly father does. He's got a lot of words of affirmation that we need to hear. So let's see it in Jesus' life, and then we're going to apply it today. Because how many know, understanding it intellectually is not going to do any, us any good. But I believe if we have a transaction, if we get it, if we experience it today in our innermost being, it's going to be life-liberating. It's going to change the course of your steps. And I think that's powerful. So out of the Father's acceptance, I believe, arises a desire to please God. You see, we're not, we're not trying to do the right things in order to get God's acceptance. You see, we already receive it when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. We're already accepted. Now, out of that acceptance, I live to please him. It's my delight to to please my father because I know he already loves me and already accepts me. So let's take a look at Luke 3, 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open. I love that little expression. You know, we'll talk about the, how significant that is. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You know what? If you're struggling with feeling loved, if you're struggling with, do I really please God? You need to memorize this verse. This is your verse. You need to get this in your system. This has to be inside your cylinder. You need to see yourself as loved by God, 
and pleasing to God. It changes how you're going to go from that point on. This is, this is, you know, if I was a psychology professor, this is what I try to tell people. This is what you need. This will change your innermost being. It'll change the way you think in your mind. It'll affect everything about how you make your future decisions because you're coming out of a platform, a base, a foundation that's so powerful. Look at the next verse. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. So I stop and say this. What did Jesus do to earn his father's love? The answer is nothing. He didn't earn it. You don't earn God's love. God already loves us. Isn't that beautiful? But I think we can, you know, displease God by bad behavior. I mean, that's true. We can be displeasing, but you know what? If we walk in obedience, it pleases God. When we do what the Father wants, it pleases God. I think that's an important uh, nuance we need to understand. I see a distinction here in what the, God the Father related to Jesus between being loved and pleasing. It's possible to love someone but not be pleased with their actions. How many know that's true? How many here are parents? You know, Come on, now, let's just think back. I love this kid, but at this moment... I don't like his behavior. Anybody relate to that statement? How many can get that? You understand what I'm talking about? That's what I'm talking about. But guess what? We're like that too. You know, we're just little kids. We haven't really all grown up. We just may be getting older, but some of us are still kids. And some of our behavior is not that nice. And God's going, I'm not pleased with that behavior. That does not mean that God stops loving us. You know, here we see that Jesus, though, was both loved and he brought pleasure to the Father. Now, uh, I want to just pull out some of the truths from this text that I believe are empowering. Number one, notice that Jesus was following the will of God when he was getting baptized. He was just doing what God showed him how to do. When John objected to baptizing Jesus, the response of Jesus reveals to us a very powerful lesson. Matthew records it this way. But John tried to deter him and saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? And then Jesus said, let it be so now. It is, the proper, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this word, this, this spiritual word righteousness, to fulfill all righteousness. Here I'm going to give you a modern paraphrase. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Here's what I need to know about my life. What is the right thing? thing to do. That's what I should be doing. Whatever the Bible shows me the right thing to do, I do. It's very simple. You know, a lot of us go, well, yeah, but I don't feel like doing the right thing. Well, I don't really care how you feel. You know, your feelings are fickle. You know, they really are. You know, ever have those moments you go, I just don't feel like that. Yeah, but God's going, I want you to do it anyways. Well, but I don't feel like forgiving that person. Yeah, but I'm asking you to do it. Well, I don't, they don't deserve it, God. Yeah, but you didn't deserve my forgiveness. We're having a little conversation, right? It's just the right thing to do. Okay, I'm going to do it. Even though I don't feel like doing it, I'm going to do it. Or else, how about this one? I want you to be nice to that person. Yeah, but they don't deserve for me to be nice to them. They're nasty, God. I want to be nasty back. That's how I feel about it. God goes, yeah, but you can't do that. You know what happens when you do that? You've become overcome by evil. I want you to do good instead. I want you to do something nice for them. You're going, really? You've got to be kidding, God. I don't really want to do that. 
Did you just see what they just did to me? Yeah, but God says, this is what I want you to do. How many are getting an idea? It's the right thing to do. Are we catching on? How many? I could apply this on and on and on and on. I could just keep going down. But so many of us, what we do is let our emotions define our lives rather than doing the right thing to do. Jesus did the right thing. Okay. Now, the first lesson in being a son or daughter of God is to walk in obedience. Lesson number one. That's the lesson every parent is trying to teach their child. You need to learn obedience. That's the lesson that our Heavenly Father wants to teach every believer. Walk in obedience. Jesus did. And there's such a powerful sense of affirmation when you do the right thing. God says, man, I'm really pleased with that. Other people may not be pleased with you, but God goes, I like that. And you know what? Affirmation comes into our lives. Uh, when we're walking in obedience to our Heavenly Father's purpose for our lives. Second lesson is the value of prayer. You know, Luke tells us that while Jesus was praying, the Holy Spirit came on him. How many like that? The heavens opened and the Spirit came down. Every time you and I pray, the heavens open. Maybe we don't think that way, but it's true. The heavens open and the Spirit of God comes down on us. Spirit of God comes down on us. How many go, that's neat. You know, we come to a prayer meeting, you go, we're trying to evaluate, what did I get from the prayer meeting? I'm saying, no, no, you're thinking it the wrong way. When I come, I think of it as the heavens opening and the spirit coming down. And it changes your whole perception of what you're doing. You know, we have to be asking God to come and empower our lives. The real purpose of prayer is to be filled with the presence of God. There's the number one reason. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Look at Luke chapter 11. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if you ask your son for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Uh, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? How many go, when you're asking for something good, the father that's a healthy father is gonna give him something evil? The answer is, of course he will not do that, right? Verse 13, if you then, though you are evil, compared to God, we really are evil, right? Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Who is the Holy Spirit? God. So God says, when you pray, I come. You don't just get, you know, this is what I need. You know, sometimes we're so funny. We, we're, like, we're like little kids going, I want a chocolate bar. And God says, I want to give you myself. And we seem to be satisfied with the chocolate bar and walk off. How many know that's kind of an interesting approach to relating to people? As a matter of fact, when we discover that our greatest need is for God himself, nothing less can really satisfy us. We want our father. And you know, little children understand it. How often when they're really tiny, they don't, you can't placate them with giving them a whole bunch of stuff. They just want you. How many remember that stage when the child just wants you? Folks, we need to get to that place where we realize, I just want the father. It's not how much he's gonna bless me. It's not how much he's gonna give me. I just want the father. I'll be satisfied with the father alone. Listen to what the psalmist writes. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? How many get a sense that this is passion and it's a passion to know God? And you, you and I need to ask ourselves the question, how much passion do I have towards spending time with God? You see, a lot of times we just, you know, when people say, well, I don't spend time with God, I'm going, you don't have a passion for God. 
Because if you really, you know, let's go back to when you were dating. You know, you were, you were enamored with this person. You just want to spend all the time with this person. That's what you call the first love. God wants us to have a passion for him. Psalm 63 says, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you. This is a challenging verse, isn't it? Do I have that in my heart towards God that I can hardly wait to spend time with you? I just want to hang with you every moment of every day, God. I just always want to be near you. I want to hear what you have to say. This is challenging. Third lesson is a need for God, the Holy Spirit, to come to us. You know, To be satisfied with anything less than God indwelling in our life means that if we are finding satisfaction in something other than God, above God, that's idolatry. But we don't think of it that way. We're finding a satisfaction in something less than what will really ultimately satisfy us. How tragic, you know? I believe that our culture's sexual promiscuity is really a distortion of our longing for intimacy. You see, deep down inside, you know, it's a longing to have intimacy, but it's an intimacy with God. The real cry is for connectedness to occur, an intimacy of soul and spirit. It has to begin in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Listen, if you have intimacy with God, there is a satisfaction that's coming into your soul that a lot of these things in the world will have no pull on you whatsoever. You're fully satisfied. Do you know it's hard to tempt people who are content? How many say that's true? You know, you know if you're gonna say, well, I'll give you a million dollars versus having this dynamic relationship with God, why would I want a million dollars? That's puny, that's junk, you know? I had somebody say to me the other day, this was a very fascinating conversation. He said, I've got all the money I want now, but I'm still not happy. I said, well, yeah, but that's not what makes you happy. See, that's not what makes people happy. We think it does, but it doesn't. We long to have intimacy with God. The fourth lesson from this event is the words of the Father himself. Speaking into our soul, I think it's a longing every son and daughter longs for from their father. A voice from heaven came, you're my son whom I love with you, I am well pleased. Isn't it neat when you're, you're the person that you are growing up under, when, you're, when your father says to you, you know, words of affirmation. You could run through a troop, jump over a wall, you can, it's such a powerful thing in your life, you know, I have to confess, even though my dad had issues and brokenness in his life, he did affirm me. That was really powerful. You know, he said a lot of neat things that brought affirmation into my soul. I think when we come to, you know, we come to Christ, uh, uh, into, the, into his family, we have a new father. Before our father was the father of lies. And some of us in this room are still listening to the father of lies. All we're hearing is lies. And here's some of the lies, you know, that we struggle with. He works at destroying our sense of identity. You know, he says, are you really God's child? Look at the way you're thinking and behaving. Are you really God's child? Come on now. You know, but you and I need to remember something. You and I were created in the image of our heavenly father, but though sin has marred that image, sin demeans us, it depreciates our dignity as children of God. We lose respect for ourselves, and when we do that, we lose respect for other people. When we're insecure and try to find our security in what we do rather than who we are, God's children. Isn't that beautiful? You see, I know who I am. 
I'm secure. It's powerful, you know? Uh, now as God's children, there's a work of restoration happening in our souls. You know, maybe today you dearly need to hear the words of love and affirmation, that the, uh, words from the Father. We're gonna do something at this message at the end of it. I normally don't do. We're gonna have an invitation. I'm gonna have people that I've asked to come and pray for you. They're gonna come forward. Men in our church are gonna come and they're gonna lay hands on you and speak words of blessing and affirmation. I think we need to hear that today. It's gonna change people's lives. Believe me. Second element that empowers our life is the ability to overcome temptation. Uh, I think there's nothing more exciting for a child of God than to overcome areas of temptation that used to defeat them in the past. How many say that's true? You know, when I look back at my life, I had areas I had to overcome, and you know what? It's been great. By the grace of God, he's set me free from those things. How many go, it's amazing? Isn't that neat when you're free from the things that used to keep you captive? Is that amazing? It's great, you know? Uh, we know that Jesus was never defeated by the enemy, but he identifies with us in our areas of weakness because he also knows what it's like to be tempted. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way, on every point, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. He didn't succumb to temptation. You know what's interesting? Jesus no sooner has this experience of being baptized and the Spirit of God comes upon him. What's the first thing that happens to him? He gets led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know, a lot of times when we're going through difficulties, because I think wildernesses are times of challenge and temptation. And when we're in the middle of a challenge, what's the temptation? Hey, if God loves me, why is he letting me go through this? That's a temptation. God does love you. It's not about him not loving you. It's about him allowing you to grow through these experiences in life. As a matter of fact, Jesus... Uh, is able to identify with us and have compassion because he went through what we went through. When you and I go through difficulties, how many say, I probably learned greater degrees of compassion after having gone through a difficult time in my life? Anybody say amen to that? Could you imagine if you and I had never had a test, never had a problem, never had a temptation, how indifferent we would be to people in need? We'd be callous. I see a lot of callous people. You know, people that have life too easy, they're callous. People that have suffered a lot, they understand. There's an empathy and a compassion. So what's striking about the temptation in the wilderness is the difference between, you know, what Jesus went through. He got victory. How did it happen? You know, when you and I overcome sin, Satan, and our society, it's powerful. We are empowered. Listen, look at the temptation. Chapter four, verse three. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. What's the temptation? You see, we think the temptation is Jesus is hungry and he wants food. You know, and I think we can learn a lot of lessons here. We can say the importance of knowing the word of God. Jesus says, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I think it's important to know the word of God. I think we need to speak back the truth in the face of a lie. That's important. But what's the real issue here? Well, let me go to the third temptation. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. What's the temptation? It's about identity. Are you really God's son? How many see it? Prove that you are who you say you are. <laughs> Jesus, God, I don't have to prove anything to you. I know who I am. 
How many are catching on? You know one of the reasons why people succumb to temptation is because they're not secure in who they are. They don't know who they are. But when you know you're a child of God and you know what the right thing to do is and you know that's the wrong thing to do, why do it? I'm only here to please my Father in heaven. I have no interest in pleasing the devil. And I have no interest in pleasing the flesh. And I have no interest in pleasing the things of this world. I have one interest now. I want to please my Father. Boy, that's exciting stuff. That's powerful stuff. You know, devil, you know, he knows the Bible. He goes, he says here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. And I said the temptation is not primarily about hunger. The issue as stated in these two temptations is about identity. Are you really God's son or daughter? Are you really saved? Isn't that true? Boy, when I was a brand new Christian, I was always getting saved. How many know what I'm talking about? I'm not sure if I'm a Christian yet. You know, I don't know how many altar calls came and I was still raising my hand to get saved. You know why? Because I wasn't sure that I was a Christian yet. You know, I had to come to that realization. I had to come to a point that I understood that I'm now a believer. I needed to understand my identity in Christ. I received Jesus. I believe in my heart that he, you know, he came to earth. He's sinless. He's God in the flesh. He died for my sins and he rose again from the dead and I confess it with my mouth. Therefore, he is my Lord. I'm saved. Period. And out of that platform, I live. My confidence is not in how good I'm doing. You know, our problem is, you know, we wonder because we get defeated. We wonder if we're truly saved. You know, victory comes not because I've got it all together. It's actually because I'm trusting Christ. You will never have it all together. Sorry to burst your bubble. It's not going to happen. On this side of eternity, you're going to still have battles and struggles and all kinds of stuff. But listen to what John tells us. He said, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Even our faith. Can I say something? You may have the faith the side of a mustard seed. That's not a very big seed, by the way. If you have faith in God, even if it's a little fragile faith, you're still believing in him, you're overcoming the world. The, see, the enemy wants to crush your confidence in God. That's all he's trying to do. He's trying to erode your confidence and trust in God. And... Uh, but faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why it's so important that we hear God's word. You know, one of my uh, thoughts as a preacher is I'm gonna give you so many scriptures that if you don't get anything else from what I say, the word of God's coming at you so fast, faith is arising within you anyways. He's doing it in spite of me. He is my father, I'm his child. He's my victory, he's my righteousness. I'm not righteous, he's righteous. He is my righteous. He is my holiness. I don't walk around going, I'm holy. I go, Christ is my holiness. He's living in me. He's my shield. He's my defense attorney. He's my advocate. He's my comforter. He's all I need for whatever situation I find myself in. All I need to do is say, Jesus, help. And it's there. Isn't that beautiful? Let's be encouraged. You're a child of God. You're saying, I'm having a problem. Say, Jesus, I need you, and he'll be there. He will help you. I trust at him. Oh, when I come to church. 
when I feel spiritually high, when I've read my Bible, when I've done the right thing. No, I trusted him at all times. His praise will always be in my mouth. Times I don't even understand what's going on, I still trust you, Lord. Times when things do not seem to be working out as I think they should, I still trust you, Lord. Times when, you know, it seems like the world has gone nuts, I still trust you, Lord. You're still in control of this crazy orbit that we're flying on. Hallelujah. He's got the whole world in his hands, and I remind myself that all the nations are like a drop in the bucket. So all the haughtiness of humanity, I just go, are you guys kidding? You're just a little bucket drop. That's it. And when I think I'm getting pretty high and haughty, I'm going, I'm less than a drop in the bucket. <laughs> so don't get too high on yourself, right? When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. You ever be afraid? Sure, we're all afraid at times. The enemy comes, he challenges God's word, he challenges God's character, he challenges God's goodness. If God is so good, why is he letting this bad stuff happen? Well, because he gave us a free will and we're doing it collectively. We're wrecking the planet. We're the problem, not God. If you're really God's child, why does it seem he's abandoned you? Listen, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Who are you gonna believe? The enemy's reporter, you're gonna believe God's word. God says, I'm right here. I mean, think about Job's situation. He's losing everything, but God is right there with him all the way through it. And you know what I found out? God never answered Job's questions. God doesn't feel like he has to give an account to you and to me what he's doing. How about that? I'm accountable to him. He's not accountable to me. You know, at the end of the, that whole temptation, you know what God said? What do you want? An answer or do you want my presence? Job was finally, find, Job got God's presence. Job says, that's enough for me. Folks, as long as you got God's presence, you've got enough. You got more than enough. I think we need to understand it's not how well we're doing, but in whom we're trusting. How many see the difference there? Where am I putting my trust? In myself or in God? So Jesus comes out of the wilderness. He's defeated the enemy. The Bible says he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit led him in, but he came out full of the power of the Spirit. You know what, remember I said, heaven's open, spirit comes down. Jesus full of the spirit. What do we need to be? Full of the spirit. News about him began to spread throughout the whole countryside. So then we move to the final element that empowers our life. It's the ability to persevere in spite of human rejection. This is painful stuff, guys. Do you know when you walk in God's purposes, you need to arm your mind and be prepared to suffer? Why is that? Because you are gonna suffer. And you're not gonna suffer from God, you're gonna suffer from other human beings. How many go, I've had a lot of experience with that, Pastor. I've suffered a lot from people. You know, for every person who overcomes the temptation in the wilderness, there are those who are defeated by the assaults coming from human offense and rejection. You know what? You're gonna get offended. Or you can choose not to be offended. You can choose forgive, right? I'm not gonna allow people's bad behavior to keep me out of heaven. What do you mean? Well, if you're gonna walk around unforgiving because people did nasty stuff to you, you're keeping yourself out of heaven. Forget that, I'm not letting them win. Some of you, you know, some of you, you've allowed people to literally, they, they rule and reign in your brain. You're all uptight about these people. I forgive them. I just forgive them and say, Father, I just, they don't even know what they're doing. You know, I wanna keep moving on with God. I don't wanna live in, you know, rejection and offense and all the rest of that stuff. No, this is really hard though, Pastor, when it's close to us. I go, yeah, I know. You know, it's interesting. Uh, 
What happens many times when, when we, we, we experience this, I'm just looking ahead, okay, yeah, I'm gonna get there. Uh, one, of, one of my heroes in the faith is a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards. And he lived in the 1730s, 40s, and 50s. He actually died pretty young. But here's the point. So he's in the church, he's pastoring for years, great theologian, they have revival in the church, but, he's, but people, his, his own family, rise up against him. Now part of it was, you know, he wasn't a warm, fuzzy pastor. He was more of a scholarly type of person. And so they wanted to get rid of him. And they spread lies about him. Isn't that nice? And people believe the lies. Isn't it amazing how quick we are to believe lies about people rather than the truth? And so they had a vote of confidence on him and they voted against him. Listen to this, 230 people didn't want him to be their pastor anymore. 23 voted for him. He got one-tenth of the vote. So you know what happened? He could have said, okay, I said, I'm done. I'm not gonna serve God anymore. No. He said, God, wherever you want to use me is fine. Here's this man, one of the most brilliant theologians. You know where he does? He goes and serves in an indigenous village teaching the gospel to native people. Beautiful. He was a humble man. You know, eventually the guy that was the perpetrator wrote him a deep letter of apology. But look at all the damage he created, you know. But God's purposes were still served regardless of all that nonsense. He continued to serve God. Well, how does a person go on after that? Well, how do you not become bitter and disillusioned by the whole thing? I think it comes down to security and identity. The issue, if we're secure in our relationship with God and understand who we are in him, regardless of how people treat us, we can continue to serve him. Isn't that beautiful? We can make choices, you know. You say, how have you been a pastor for over four decades? Real simple, I choose to love people. I choose to forgive people. I make it a choice. I can't control your behavior, I can control mine. That's all I can control. So regardless of how you treat me, I'm gonna treat you a different way. If you treat me poorly, I'm gonna treat you nicely. See, you treat me nicely, I'll treat you nicely. I'd rather have that. Of course, we're human. But let's face it, regardless of how people treat us, we can't let that define how we're gonna walk with God, can we? We gotta choose, you know, we gotta choose to be forgiving. Now we come to Jesus. And he gets led from the wilderness and the first church service he holds, or one of the first, he goes to his own hometown of Nazareth. Let's pick up the story. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they said? Now remember, Nazareth is a little town. Jesus knows everybody in town. They're his neighbors, they're his friends, and they're his family. Those are the three groups. Okay, everybody follow the story. They go, man, I can't get over this. This is the kid that was, you know, he's been, he's been our carpenter for all these years. All of a sudden, he's, he's doing all these things. They've heard about some miracles that were happening, and Jesus is speaking, and they're going, where does this stuff come from? Next verse. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do in your own hometown what we've heard you've done in Capernaum, because miracles were happening there. But we found out, when you read in another Mark's gospel, he said he could only do a few, few miracles there because there was so much unbelief. They didn't believe in him. So that very little could happen. Verse 24, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time and when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of the widows under the covenant but a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Hey, this is interesting. He was sent out of town. He was sent out of country. That's what Jesus is telling them. 
He says, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Another outsider. How many think this is interesting? What's he saying? He's saying the outsiders are more apt to respond to my ministry than insiders are. You were all the insiders. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Now, go back. Who did I tell you they were? Family, friends, neighbors. They were furious when Jesus gave them the sermon. How would you like that reaction? These are the closest people to it. This is the reaction Jesus is getting from them. It says, they got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. Nice family, nice neighbors, nice friends. These guys were not just verbally nasty. How many go, these guys got really angry. Now, some of you have been to Israel with me. We're going again in February. If you want to go, let me know. But we got to this brow of this place. Let me tell you something. This is a long drop. This is hundreds of feet. You won't survive this drop. But he walked right through them and went on his way. Now, how could he do that? Because you know what? Jesus was, he knew who he was. He was secure. And he knew his time wasn't done yet. This is not the way I'm going. And he walked right amongst them. I, I think when he started walking through them, you know, it wasn't that he became invisible, folks. He's not the invisible man. I think what happened was when they looked at his face, they realized, we're afraid to touch him now. They, were, they got afraid because Jesus was so full of courage and he was so secure in himself, it made them shrink back. I think that was part of it. Just walked on through. Isn't it amazing when you and I know who we are in Christ, and we're full of confidence in God, we don't have to be intimidated by people. That's what I'm trying to tell us. It's stated that all these people that wanted to kill him, Jesus walked away and started over somewhere else. So, he knew he was loved by the Father, he knew he was the Father's son, and he knew he was doing the Father's will. How many say those are three great things? I have to ask myself, do I know I'm loved by God? My little box goes, absolutely without reservation and question. That's my first box. Notice how I'm answering it. I know I'm the father's son. I'm not Jesus, but I know I belong to him. I'm his son, and I know I'm doing what the father wants me to do. I have a lot of confidence, not in myself, but in him. It's actually, as I'm getting older, I have more courage. You know, I was more concerned about what people thought in the past. I'm getting less concerned about it all the time. I'm being honest. I mean, do I care about people deeply? I actually care more about people today than I did, but I'm less afraid of them. I don't really care what they think. That's their opinion. I know what God thinks. That's all that matters to me. Jesus did not need the approval and affirmation of men because he had the approval and affirmation of his heavenly father and he was secure in who he was. He knew his identity. Often we fail in the moments of temptation because we've never settled the issue of identity. Do I know who I am? We're insecure. We don't understand that God the Father has what he's done for us on the cross. I'm not standing in what I do. I'm standing in what he did. If I stood on what I did right now, even all these years of serving, I'd be afraid to stand before God. When I get to heaven, I'm not gonna go and say, Lord, I spent all this time serving you. I'm not gonna say that. I'm gonna look in his face and say, thank you for what you did for me. That's my only hope of getting into heaven. 
You see the difference? You know, one of the reasons why so little is actually being accomplished in so many lives is that we start looking to ourselves, to our wisdom, our abilities, and when we realize that they're not enough, we quit, we falter, and we fail. So I want to do this right now because we're running out of time. We're going to stand. Let's stand. I've asked uh, elders, board members, uh, the men that pray with me on Sunday morning, I want you to come forward right now. Guys, come forward. Pastor Mark, pastoral staff. Yeah, come forward, guys. I want to do something this morning because I think this is so critical. Some of you in this, in, the, in this group right now, you go, you know, Pastor, I've struggled with this very thing of who am I? And, I'm, and I have to admit, I'm insecure, all the rest of it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to come down here, and we're going to dismiss the service, and uh, we're going to close with prayer. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for some of you individually. I ask these men to pray for people individually. I've asked them to pray words of affirmation and blessing in your life. I want you to hear what the Father thinks of you. I want you to get this in your cylinders. I want you to get so, uh, this, just this transaction between you and God. Just like, remember I said when Jesus came, the heavens opened? He was praying. We're going to pray right now. Heavens are going to open. What's going to happen? The Spirit of God's going to come down. Spirit of God is going to come down and it's going to touch people's lives. I think this is important. I want you to come right now. Really quickly, you come. You, you need the words of affirmation. These people are going to represent maybe your earthly father. They're going to represent your heavenly father. I want you to come. I want you to hear these words of affirmation. Come and they're going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to come down and pray in a moment. And I'm going to dismiss the service. If you're not coming... If you wouldn't mind just slipping out quietly while we pray for people who want prayer, okay? Can we do that? Everybody follow what I'm doing. So I'm gonna pray a prayer of benediction and you quietly slip out. And then those that wanna come forward, you come and I'm gonna pray too. Father, we thank you this morning. You wanna bring blessing. You wanna bring hope. You wanna bring encouragement. They, we need the words of affirmation in our lives. We need these words spoken into our innermost being that you love us and that you are pleased with us as your children. And we thank you for that, Father. And I pray now as we go this week that we'd live in the power of this message and of these words so that we can overcome temptation and rejection in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for that. Amen and amen. You come. Others, you slip out.